Thanks for tuning in to the Bethany Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message helps you grow in your faith with Christ. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on at Bethany or GIF, you can visit us online at bethanysite.com or download our mobile app. Hello, Bethany. It's so good to see everyone, and we want to welcome people that are watching online, and uh, we're in this... um, this series called Another in the Fire, and we're wrapping up the series. This is the last one, and this one is Rescue uh, from Famine. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, we're going to be uh, looking at this wonderful Old Testament story. And uh, one of the things I wanted to um, uh, let you know is God answers prayer. And, and many of you have been praying uh, for my daughter and son-in-law. They've been married 15 years, and... Uh, they um, have been trying to have uh, a baby for a long time, and uh, they haven't done anything, uh, you know, medically to try to make that happen, and uh, she's pregnant. And so it's just, a, you know, whoa, it's so exciting, and uh, uh, I, I need you guys to really pray now that the baby will be born healthy, and they'll name it George. So... Uh, <laughs> Thank you for laughing. So anyway, uh, we we were just so excited. We went over last week, and we've known for a while, but she didn't want it to be announced until she hit 20 weeks. So it's just been super exciting, and and she's due at the end of March. So uh, we're really glad for them, and uh, we love being in the grandparent uh, club. It's just a wonderful club to belong to. So uh, I want to read to you uh, this story, verses um, 7 through verse 16, a story of Elijah, this prophet of God, and this is during a famine. There's a terrible famine going on, and I'll kind of give you some background when I get done reading it. Uh, let me read it to you. Uh, to, I want to read you the story, then tell you the story, and then give you three applications. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, and then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Seraphath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord Yahweh your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord Yahweh sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her, and so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord Yahweh spoken by Elijah." I just love this story, and it's very similar to the one I gave two weeks ago. If you were here, we uh, had uh, the the prophet that follows Elijah. Elisha does basically the same miracle, and so uh, it's kind of a repeat miracle. But uh, this uh, circumstances is during uh, a terrible, terrible uh, famine. And the one Elisha does was someone that was in terrible debt. 
And the background of this uh, is that uh, there's, a, there's a terrible famine going on, and it's caused uh, by this wicked king, uh, King Ahab. And God is not happy with this wicked king. According to 1 Kings 16.30, uh, King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord Yahweh than any of those before him. Uh, he had married Jezebel. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jezebel. She's just this horrible, horrible queen. Uh, she is uh, from uh, Sidon. She's a Sidonian uh, that worshipped the Baal. And God really did not want Israel ever worshipping the Baal God. It was a horrible uh, kind of worship, you know, very licentious. And then uh, they would have uh, baby sacrifices. Just horrible, horrible stuff. So um, uh, there's just this 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 famine caused by having no rain. Uh, Verse 7 says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And verse uh, 1 Kings 18.2 says, Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So if you can picture Israel, Israel is divided at this time. There's a northern king and a southern king. The southern king is king of uh, Judea. And the northern king is this King Ahab. And uh, his capital is not Jerusalem, but is Samaria in um, northern Israel. And he is worshiping the Baal. And he set up uh, this, also this female deity god, the Asherah. And God is very displeased. And uh, Elijah prays. And then there is no... No rain for three and a half years, and there's this famine. Famine in Hebrew, rahab, means to be hungry, to be ravenous, to have starvation, uh, scarcity, to waste away, malnourished, storage of food. I mean, it's really a horrible thing. And in the third world, we still have uh, terrible famines, and famine is a horrible time for people. And uh, in verse 8, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go at once to Seraphath, the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, what's interesting about this to me, and, you know, I'm kind of wonky as a pastor, and I love these stories. Uh, He's been at this brook, uh, the brook of Karath, and he's been there uh, maybe six months, maybe a year. But I think like three to six months, and then it goes dry. And so God directs him to go to uh, Seraphath, which is on the coast, which is, you know, on the Mediterranean. And it's a few miles south of uh, Sidon, the the capital of uh, Phoenicia. And uh, Jezebel, King Ahab's wife, is the daughter of Isbael, King Isbael, the, the one that's the, the king of the Sidonians. And so Elijah basically is being hidden by God just a few miles from uh, the, where you know, this horrible worship comes from. And so it's the most interesting thing that he's hiding in plain sight and he's right there. And King Ahab sends people, sends, you know, spies and soldiers throughout the land and even into other lands, you know, and making people swear that they won't hide Elijah because he wants to find him and get this famine over because he knows that Elijah is connected with it. He's the prophet of God. And so he goes there and uh, he's directed. If you notice in verse 9, it says directed. And that word means to send or to give an order or to command, to instruct the order. And it's really interesting because... Elijah is directed to there, and God is directing this widow, but the widow doesn't know that God is using his providence to save her and also to use her. The other thing that's really important to know is that she is a Gentile. She's not a a Jewish uh, widow, and God is sending um, this prophet of Israel to this Gentile uh, uh, widow. And widows 
were the poor of the land. The fastest way that you could become poor was to become a widow in this time. And she has a son that I think is very young. The next story, if you read ahead, the next story, kind of, you know, Elijah picks up this young, either young teenager or young boy and can carry him upstairs to his apartment. So there, there's something about this that she's a young widow and she has this young child. So uh, verse 10, uh, this widow is gathering sticks at the gate of the, and she's making these, gathering these sticks, and she's going to make her last meal with her son. She's going to eat it, and then she's going to die. I mean, this is really desperate times. And Elijah said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Now, in my opinion, she kind of knows that this is a man of God. There's something that's letting her know that, you know, she knows at least that he's Jewish, and she knows that there's something special about this guy. And he asks for a glass of water. And it just kind of foreshadows, if you've been around church or the Bible at all, it foreshadows when the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament reaches out to a Gentile woman, the woman at the well. How many have ever heard the story of the woman at the well? Okay, you know, 50 of you and the rest of you, you'll have to look it up in the Gospels and say, what in the world was he talking about? If you're telling one story, don't go to another story. So anyway, I, I just broke that rule. So anyway, uh, uh, it, it just kind of foreshadows the ask for water. And it's a great way to get to know someone is to ask them to do a favor for you. Uh, if you're lost, like we went to Europe and I got lost so many times and I would just ask people, hey, could you do me a favor? I'm an ugly American. Could you show me where I am and without robbing me? I didn't quite say it that way, but you know, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? You just ask people for stuff. And one of the ways I, I learned to get to know uh, neighbors is to borrow something from them. You know, borrow a broom or borrow some eggs, you know, that you borrow something and uh, it, it's just an amazing way is to ask for a favor. And Elijah says, um, would you bring me some water? Now, this is the middle of a famine and the shortage of water, shortage of food. And I think she was obedient. She's getting ready to go do it. And then this word, verse 11, and, and is a wonderful word, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Would you give me some bread? Okay, I'm a widow. We're, we're in a famine. And you're asking me for bread? I, I just love this story. Um, this has nothing to do with the story, but I remember when my mom uh, was uh, laid up in bed uh, before she passed away. And this is quite a few years. She uh, had, uh, had an episode, and she was in bed, and she was you know, diabetic. And my dad was you know, tending to her. And he got her a little bell you know, to ring. And we just thought that was so cool, you know, ding, 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 you know, and then you would come and say, can I help you a novella? And ding, 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 you know. And about the third time she did it, you know, uh, he took the bell away and put it away, you know. So I always think of that, you know, when someone just keeps adding onto the list. And so would you give me some water and uh, would you give me some bread? And she responds the most interesting way that even though she may not actually be a worshiper of Yahweh. That, that, that word, Lord your God, Lord there is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When all four are capitalized uh, in our translations, it's the uh, Hebrew word uh, Yahweh. We're not sure how to pronounce it. It could be Jehovah, could be Yahoo, it could be any of those, but it's, it's the special name of God. And then the word God is another Hebrew name for uh, God. It was Elohim. And she says the most interesting thing is surely as the Lord Yahweh, your God. So she knows he's Jewish, and she probably knows that he's a prophet. Your God lives. So she knows that he's the living God. 
She knows that he's a living God, so she may not worship him. She may not personally know him, but she knows that he's the living God. So this is really powerful language. She was like, I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread to bring you. I only have a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering up a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Now, I don't know if she's being overdramatic, but I've seen the pictures of uh, horrible famines that hit like Ethiopia and have hit Africa and have hit you know, different places, and it, it just looks terrible. And it just seems like you know, every few years there's another place in, in our world that's having famine, and this is what they're going through. And Elijah says the most wonderful thing. He says, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, first thing, make me a small loaf of bread. Um, that, that loaf of bread that, that is used there, it means, uh, uh, the English Standard Version, New American Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, all those different Bibles use the word cake. Make me a cake. But, you know, make me a cake. I used to love this when I was a kid in the Sunday school story because I loved cake, you know. You can tell I love cake, you know. It's just so wonderful. But it's not really cake. It's like a, a Navajo fry bread, a round Navajo fry bread, which is, you know, better than cake in my opinion, or uh, a really thick handmade tortilla. And it's kind of that thing where they make a, this thing and then they fry it with the olive oil. Uh, and it's, it's, or they put it on the fire and cook it. And so he says, make it for me and from whatever you have and then bring it to me and then go make yourself and your son something. And then he says, for the Lord Yahweh is going to do a miracle. The bread's never going to run out and the jar of oil is never going to run out until the rain comes and the famine is over. So I just told you that and I want you to know that in every... Old Testament story and every New Testament story, there's one interpretation, but many applications. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to give you three applications, but I want you to know that the three applications I'm going to give you is counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to when you face a famine. And it's also antithetical to the culture. The culture is going this way, and this runs against that. And uh, there's three things, and they, they have to be done by faith. They absolutely have to be done by faith. So the first one is notice in verse uh, 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, they have just this little bit of food. They're going to die after they eat it because they're going to have nothing else. They're just going to waste away to nothing. It's a horrible death. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. And the first thing, when you face a famine, when we face something, you know, like a famine for us in America, we don't really have famines in America, but we have recession. And people are super afraid right now of recession and people's 401 and 403s and, you know, have lost 20, 25, 30%. And people, you know, are seeing, you know, housing prices fall and they're just, you know, the news media just is pumping fear, 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 fear. And they figured out that the more fear they can pump, you know, the more they can sell advertising on their news shows. And I want you to know that the opposite of that, the counterintuitive is don't be afraid. And even though we are frightful creatures, don't be afraid. 
It's like we can put it in God's hand and he can handle it. Don't be afraid. Psalms 56, 3 and 4 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. So we are going to have times when we're afraid, but we put our trust in him. We put our trust in him and we don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. The second one is uh, in that same verse, but first make a small loaf of bread for me. So the second application is give to God first. This is the man of God, and she knows he's this prophet, this man of God. And later she says in the end of the chapter, I know that you're a man of God. And so there's this idea that, you know, you give to God first. And I talked about that two weeks ago. Then we use this, I use this slogan, I've been using it for you know, like 20 years, and it's, you know, you give, and you save, and you live on the rest. So you, you, we have a give first God, and we want to be a, a give first church, so we give to God first to honor God, and we give our time, our talent, our treasure, our testimony, and touch, and I like to say high touch, that, that we have something greater to live for, that we touch lives even into eternity. Like, I don't know this is it going to be a grandson or a granddaughter that's coming. I don't know. Right now, uh, we kind of joke around with names, and right now we're calling it Owen. And, and Katie says, whether it's a girl or a boy, we're calling it Owen. And uh, so uh, it probably is not going to be the name. You know, it's probably going to be George. But there's something wonderful, you know, about that child will be in eternity. And I've been asking God that, that I, as a grandfather, will have an impact on that child's life. So we want to touch people for eternity. We want to touch neighbors and friends and workmates and schoolmates for eternity. And so this is the idea that we give to God first time, talent, treasure, testimony, and touch. And then we save second so that we create margin. So that we are... Saving when there are good times, we're saving, you know, so that we can have uh, that that abundance when we go through the famine time, and then we live on the rest to learn to be content. So, if you are living like a lot of Americans at a hundred percent, you know, paycheck to paycheck, and a recession comes and gets knocked down twenty twenty five percent. You're, you're 20, 25% below what your budget is. And some Americans, especially when 2008, 2009, when we had the last recession, they were living at, you know, 100.5% or 101%. And they, they were actually, you know, using credit to get through. And if you can uh, learn to give to God first and then save, and if you're in years of abundance, you know, I would recommend 20%, but if you can save 5%, 7%, 10%, that when recession comes or when a famine comes, you know, you're already used to living down here because you're living on the rest and you're learning to be content. The other thing I want you to notice is that widow, when she goes and gets the bread, she makes this fry bread or this cake, whatever you want to call it, she brings it to Elijah and it's all that she has. It's all that she has. She doesn't have a lot, just a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. But that is a huge sacrifice. 
And it's not the amount of what you give, but it's that sacrifice. And that no matter what, if you are giving sacrificially to the Lord, it doesn't matter you know, what the amount is. The most important thing is that you are giving to God first. And the widow gave her last meal to the man of God. That's just an awesome sacrifice. Um, yesterday, it's been a long couple of days yesterday, we had our grandkids over and we carved pumpkins. And we had so much fun. And Elaine made uh, cabbage vegetable chicken soup. And, you know, just it's out of this world, you know, and it's on my diet. And then she, she made a diet buster, you know. She made uh, bagels. And I don't know if you've ever made bagels or not, but that's a lot of work. But she learned this, you know, new recipe where it's a two-ingredient um, bagel, two ingredients. And I was like, what? You know, it really perked my ears. And she took Greek yogurt and, and flour and mixed it together and formed the thing, you know, you know the self-rising flour, you know, she put her finger in the middle and did the circle, you know, like, and you don't boil these, you just bake them. And you put that uh, everything bagel thing, you know, uh, shake on it, you know, from, uh, uh, from Maroon Joe's. So anyway, um, I uh, ate uh, just a bite of one of them because I had to try it. And I, I put on some cream cheese. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and she just took the bag of bagels and said, no, you know. And I just, I couldn't believe it. But it was two ingredients. And it was so good, I couldn't believe it. And I can imagine, you know, the, the prophet getting this two-ingredient bagel, this two-ingredient fry bread, fried up delicious by this widow, and biting into it hot and warm and delicious. And he's eating the last meal of this widow for her and her son. I mean, it is just an awesome picture, you know, of the sacrifice that, that she was giving. Uh, the other thing, and this is the third application, is uh, show hospitality. Show hospitality. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. I don't know if you realize how impactful that is, but uh, if I had been her, I don't know if I would have had as much faith as she had. You know, I would have gone there and made the fry bread, the bagel, and I would have, you know, set it aside. This is for Elijah. And then I would have been very tempted to pour out some more flour and some more oil to see if that miracle happened. But I don't think she did that. She didn't make it a, a meal for her and her son. She took that warm fry bread, that warm bagel, to Elijah, and then she goes back to her house and think, oh, Lord, please, you know, and you could just see her pouring out more flour and pouring out more oil. And not just a little, but as much as she wanted. And you could see her and her son, you know, having one fry bread and another fry bread and another fry bread. I don't know if you've ever been in a bread mood. You know, I've been to a, a French restaurant one time where, you know, they had delicious onion soup and the best French bread I'd ever tasted in my life and fresh butter. And I came out of there and I could barely move. I was so uncomfortable. But you could just see her and her son so hungry eating, you know, uh, loaf after loaf, piece after piece and being totally full 
miracle, which also reminds me of Jesus when he fed the 5,000. You know, there's that miracle where he feeds the 5,000. And this is a miracle. And it's so wonderful. But the last thing I wanted to do is, is give you this application of show hospitality. Show hospitality. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Did you catch that? Elijah invites himself home. He invites her to her home. So at some point, you know, she gives him this bread and, and uh, you know, he starts eating it. And maybe he starts following her and he's eating it as he's following her. And you could see her turning around and, you know, kind of like, I guess he's coming home with me. And this famine lasted three and a half years, three and a half years. And maybe he was at that brook for six months. So maybe he's inviting himself to live, you know, and she has a little apartment on the top of the roof. So he's inviting himself uh, to have her cook for him and tend to him for, you know, two and a half, three years. That's a lot of hospitality, isn't it? That's the most amazing thing. She's going to be uh, having this prophet and he's going to be hiding in plain sight and she's doing this wonderful thing. And I've always said that, you know, relatives and fish, you know, stink after three days. And here he is, here he is for three years. And it's the most amazing story. And uh, even Jesus refers to it in Luke 4, verse 24 through 26. Jesus continued, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Seraphath in the region of Sidon. It was to this Gentile. And it was three and a half years. And Elijah was a human being, James 5.17 says, even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And the reason I'm telling you this is that he was at this widow's house for a long time. And during a famine or a recession, one of the best things that we can do is show hospitality. You cannot imagine how important hospitality is. And you don't have to be rich to be hospitable. And you don't necessarily have to have people over to your home, but we do. When we had hardly anything in our first ministries, even before we were um, in ministry, we were in ministry, you know, as, as laymen, we had people over. And when we didn't have hardly anything, that's when Elaine made the best food because she's so creative. And one time we had people over and it was just noodles and onions. She had a little bit of milk and, you know, she used a lot of pepper and I love her noodles. I, I'm not supposed to eat them nowadays, but I just, it was fabulous. And there was another time all we had was a pancake mix, and you didn't even have to have an egg for it. So she made pancakes, and we didn't have any syrup, but we had some brown sugar, so she cooked down the brown sugar and made her own syrup. Oh, my goodness, way better than any store-bought, in my opinion. And um, she made these pancakes, and she made them really thin, and they were so thin and wonderful. And she made them and she just started stacking them and stacking them. And uh, it got about, I don't know, six inches tall, you know, before it would fall over. And there was four of us. And this is before, you know, we had a, a lot of kids. And she cut it into, I think, five or six uh, wedges. So uh, it was our two kids, us, this couple we had over. And you had a whole wedge. It was almost like gourmet. And then you poured this hot brown sugar syrup over it. Well, you're going to go home and get some, something to eat, right? 
I want you to know that as a church, we're committed to hospitality. Um, Sunday, we're hosting a thousand kids uh, at our trunk or treat. There'll be a thousand kids that come through, and we're doing it because we want to be hospitable, that we want to reach our community. And this is one of my favorite verses because it was my dad's verse that he used his whole ministry. First Thessalonians two eight. We this is Paul writing to this church in uh, in Greece, Thessalonica. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And our ministry philosophy is not just, you know, hitting people over the head with the gospel and then running away. It's the idea of sharing our lives with people. And the gospel is lived out. And we're followers of Jesus, and Jesus was the most hospitable man that ever lived. He loved people. So let me wrap this up by saying um, there's uh, famines all the time. There's famines. And if I can just uh, kind of stretch that, uh, that this was a real famine that Elijah and this widow were going through. Um, But there's also other kind of famines, economic famines. There's emotional famines. There's things when people go through. People are coming out of the COVID and people are, are coming out, you know, emotionally, you know, just... I was so exhausted and, and anxiety and all kinds of stuff that people are going through. Sometimes there's a, a friend uh, famine where you move to a new city or you go into the military and you move from place to place and you get to a place where you have no friends. Or you have a spiritual famine. That you, that all of a sudden you realize that you know, your spiritual life you know, is a desert and, and you need God. And I want you to know that that, that can be a, a famine. And then a joy famine. I don't know if you've ever had a place where you, you, know, you didn't have joy in your life. You didn't have that, you know, that joy that we're supposed to have. And you're, you're in a famine. And you're in the backside of the desert. And you know, it just seems so hard. And I want you to know that the, if I could get anything for you, if I could have anything for you, I would say don't be afraid. No matter what famine you go through, don't be afraid. And God will provide whatever it is. Let me read that verse again. Psalms 56.3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. And there's another translation that says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. And so it doesn't mean that we're never afraid. It just means that we're not going to be afraid. We're going to trust God. Amen? Hey, stand with me and let me pray for you. Father God, we just thank you so much. We thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a God that loves to rescue. Father, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to come out of the grave alive to rescue us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've offered this rescue to us. We thank you for these stories of rescue. We pray that you would bless each person here. Help us to walk in your spirit. Help us to listen to your voice. We thank you for how you work daily in our families and our lives. Give us opportunities to tell people about you. In Jesus' name, amen.